Chapter 19 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Florence Short. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter 19 two or three days and nights went by i reckon i might say they swum by they slid along so quiet and smooth and lovely here is the way we put in the time it was a monstrous big river down there sometimes a mile and a half wide we run nights and laid up and hid daytimes soon as night was most gone we stopped navigating and tied up nearly always in the dead water under a towhead, and then cut young cottonwoods and willows and hid the raft with them then we set out the lines next we slid into the river and had a swim so as to freshen up and cool off then we sat down on the sandy bottom where the water was about knee-deep and watched the daylight come not a sound anywheres perfectly still just like the whole world was asleep only sometimes the bullfrogs are cluttering maybe the first thing to see looking away over the water was a kind of dull line that was the woods on t'other side you couldn't make nothing else out then a pale place in the sky then more paleness spreading around then the river softened up away off and weren't black any more but gray you could see little dark spots drifting along ever so far away trading scows and such things and long black streaks rafts sometimes you could hear a sweet screeching or jumbled up voices it was so still and sounds come so far and by and by you could see a streak on the water which you know by the look of the streak that there's a snag there in the swift current which breaks on it and makes that streak look that way and you see the mist curl up off of the water and the east reddens up in the river and you make out a log cabin on the edge of the woods away on the bank on t'other side of the river being a woodyard likely and piled by them cheats so you can throw a dog through it anywheres then the nice breeze springs up and comes fanning you from over there so cool and fresh and sweet to smell on account of the woods and the flowers but sometimes not that way because they've left dead fish laying around gars and such and they do get pretty rank and next you've got the full day and everything's smiling in the sun and the songbirds just going it a little smoke couldn't be noticed now so we would take some fish off of the lines and cook up a hot breakfast and afterwards we would watch the lonesomeness of the river and kind of lazy along and by and by lazy off to sleep wake up by and by and look to see what done it and maybe see a steamboat coughing along upstream so far off towards the other side you couldn't tell nothing about her only whether she was a stern wheel or side wheel then for about an hour there wouldn't be nothing to hear nor nothing to see 
just solid lonesomeness. Next you'd see a raft sliding by, away off yonder, and maybe a galoot on it chopping, because they're most always doing it on a raft. You'd see the axe flash and come down. You don't hear nothing. You see that axe go up again, and by the time it's above the man's head, then you hear the ka-chunk. It had took all that time to come over the water. So we would put in the day lazying around, listening to the stillness. Once there was a thick fog, and the rafts and things that went by was beaten tin pans so the steamboats wouldn't run over them. A scow or a raft went by so close we could hear them talking and cussing and laughing, heard them plain but we couldn't see no sign of them. It made you feel crawly. It was like spirits carrying on that way in the air. Jin said he believed it was spirits, but I says, no, spirits wouldn't say, dern the dern fog. Soon as it was night out we shoved, when we got her out to about the middle, we let her alone and let her float wherever the current wanted her to. Then we lit the pipes and dangled our legs in the water and talked about all kinds of things. We was always naked, day and night, whenever the mosquitoes would let us. The new clothes Buck's folks made for me was too good to be comfortable. And besides... I didn't go much on clothes, no how. Sometimes we'd have the whole river all to ourselves for the longest time. Yonder was the banks and the islands across the water. And maybe a spark, which was a candle in a cabin window. And sometimes on the water you could see a spark or two on a raft or a scow, you know. And maybe you could hear a fiddle or a song coming over from one of them crafts. It's lovely to live on a raft. We had the sky up there all speckled with stars. And we used to lay on our backs and look up at them and discuss about whether they was made or only just happened. Jim, he allowed they was made, but I allowed they happened. I judged it would have took too long to make so many. Jim said the moon could have laid them. Well, that looked kind of reasonable, so I didn't say nothing against it, because I've seen a frog lay most as many, so of course it could be done. We used to watch the stars that fell, too, and we'd see them streak down. Jim allowed they'd got spoiled and was hove out of the nest. Once or twice of a night we would see a steamboat slipping along in the dark, and now and then she would belch a whole world of sparks up out of her chimbleys, and they would rain down in the river and look awful pretty. Then she would turn a corner and her lights would wink out and her powwow shut off and leave the river still again. And by and by her waves would get to us, a long time after she was gone, and joggled the raft a bit, and after that you wouldn't hear nothing, for you couldn't tell how long, except maybe frogs or something. After midnight the people on shore went to bed, 
and then for two or three hours the shores was black no more sparks in the cabin windows these sparks was our clock the first one that showed again meant morning was coming so we hunted a place to hide and tie up right away one morning about daybreak i found a canoe and crossed over a chute to the main shore it was only two hundred yards and paddled about a mile up a creek amongst the cypress woods to see if i couldn't get some berries just as i was passing a place where a kind of a cow path crossed the creek here comes a couple of men tearing up the path as tight as they could foot it i thought i was a goner for whenever anybody was after anybody i judged it was me or maybe jim i was about to dig out from there in a hurry but they was pretty close to me then and sung out and begged me to save their lives said they hadn't been doing nothing and was being chased for it said there was men and dogs a-coming they wanted to jump right in but i says don't you do it i don't hear the dogs and horses yet you've got time to crowd through the brush and get up the creek a little ways then you take to the water and wade down to me and get in that'll throw the dogs off the scent they done it and soon as they was aboard i lit out for our towhead and in about five or ten minutes we heard the dogs and the men away off shouting we heard them come along towards the creek but couldn't see them they seemed to stop and fool around a while then as we got further and further away all the time we couldn't hardly hear them at all by the time we had left a mile of woods behind us and struck the river everything was quiet and we paddled over to the towhead and hid in the cottonwoods and was safe one of these fellows was about seventy or upwards and had a bald head and very gray whiskers he had an old battered-up slouch hat on and a greasy blue woolen shirt and ragged old blue jeans rich stuffed into his boot tops and home-knit galosses no he only had one he had an old long-tailed blue jeans coat with slick brass buttons flung over his arm and both of them had big fat ratty-looking carpet bags the other fellow was about thirty and dressed about as ornery after breakfast we all laid off and talked and the first thing that come out was that these chaps didn't know one another what got you into trouble says the bald head to other chap well i've been selling an article to take the tartar off the teeth and it does take it off too and generally the enamel along with it but i stayed about one night longer than i ought to and was just in the act of sliding out when i ran across you on the trail this side of town and you told me they were coming and begged me to help you to get off 
so i told you i was expecting trouble myself and would scatter out with you that's the whole yarn what's yours well i've been running a little temperance revival there about a week and was the pet of the women folks big and little for i was making it mighty warm for the rummies i tell you and taking as much as five or six dollars a night ten cents a head children and niggers free and business a growing all the time when somehow or other a little report got round last night that i had a way of putting in my time with a private jug on the sly a nigger rousted me out this morning and told me the people was gathering on the quiet with their dogs and horses and they'd be along pretty soon and give me about half an hour's start and then run me down if they could and if they got me they'd tire and feather me and ride me on a rail sure i didn't wait for no breakfast i weren't hungry oh man said the young one i reckon we might double team it together what do you think i ain't undisposed what's your line mainly chore printer by trade do a little in patent medicines theatre actor tragedy you know take a turn to mesmerism and phrenology when there's a chance teach singing geography school for a change sling a lecture sometimes oh i do lots of things most anything that comes handy so it ain't work what's your lay i've done considerable in the doctrine way in my time laying on a hands is my best holt for cancer and paralysis and sich things and i can tell a fortune pretty good when i've got somebody along to find out the facts for me preachin's my line too and workin' camp meetings and missionarying around nobody never said anything for a while then the young man hove aside and says alas what you a lassin about says the bald head to think i should have lived to be leading such a life and to be degraded down into such company and he began to wipe the corner of his eye with a rag turn your skin ain't the company good enough for you says the bald head pretty pert and uppish yes it is good enough for me it's as good as i deserve for who fetched me so low when i was so high i did myself i don't blame you gentlemen far from it i don't blame anybody i deserve it all let the cold world do its worst one thing i know there's a grave somewhere for me the world may go on just as it's always done and take everything from me loved ones property everything but it can't take that some day i'll lie down in it and forget it all and my poor broken heart will be at rest he went on a-wiping dropped your poor broken heart says the bald head what are you heaving your poor broken heart at us for we hain't done nothing no 
I know you haven't. I ain't blaming you, gentlemen. I brought myself down. Yes, I did it myself. It's right I should suffer. Perfectly right. I don't make any moan. Brought you down from where? Where was you brought down from? Ah, you would not believe me. The world never believes. Let it pass. Tis no matter. The secret of my birth. The secret of your birth, do you mean to say? Gentlemen, says the young man, very solemn, I will reveal it to you, for I feel I may have confidence in you. By rights, I am a duke. Jim's eyes bugged out when he heard that, and I reckon mine did too. Then the bald head says, No, you can't mean it yes my great-grandfather eldest son of the duke of bridgewater fled to this country about the end of the last century to breathe a pure air of freedom married here and died leaving a son his own father dying about the same time the second son of the late duke seized the titles and estates the infant real duke was ignored i am the lineal descendant of that infant i am the rightful duke of bridgewater and here i am forlorn torn from my high estate hunted of men despised by the cold world ragged worn heartbroken and degraded to the companionship of felons on a raft jim pitied him ever so much and so did i we tried to comfort him, but he said it weren't much use. He couldn't be much comforted. Said if we was a mind to acknowledge him, that would do him more good than most anything else. So we said we would, if he would tell us how. He said we ought to bow when we spoke to him and say, Your Grace, or My Lord, or Your Lordship and he wouldn't mind it if we called him plain bridgewater which he said was a title anyway and not a name and one of us ought to wait on him at dinner and do any little thing for him he wanted done well that was all easy so we done it all through dinner jim stood around and waited on him and says will you grace have some of this or some of that and so on and a body could see it was mighty pleasing to him but the old man got pretty silent by and by didn't have much to say and didn't look pretty comfortable over all that petting that was going on round the duke he seemed to have something on his mind so along in the afternoon he says look a here bilgewater he says i'm nation sorry for you but you ain't the only person that's had troubles like that no no you ain't you ain't the only person that's been snaked down wrongfully out in a high place alas no you ain't the only person that's had a secret of his birth and by jinx he begins to cry hold what do you mean bilgewater can i trust you 
says the old man still sort of sobbing to the bitter death he took the old man by the hand and squeezed it and says that secret of your being speak bilge water i am the late dauphin you bet you jim and me stared this time then the duke says you are what yes my friend it is too true your eyes is looking at this very moment on the poor disappeared dauphin louis the seventeen son of louis the sixteen and mary antoinette you at your age no you mean you're the late charlemagne you must be six or seven hundred years old at the very least trouble has done it bilgewater trouble has brung these gray hairs in this premature balditude yes gentlemen you see before you in blue jeans and misery the wandering exiled trampled on and suffering rightful king of france well he cried and took on so that me and jim didn't know hardly what to do we was so sorry and so glad and proud we got him with us too so we set in like we done before with the duke and tried to comfort him but he said it weren't no use nothing but to be dead and done with it all could do him any good though he said it often made him feel easier and better for a while if people treated him according to his rights and got down on one knee to speak to him and always called him your majesty and waited on him first at meals and didn't sit down in his presence till he asked them so jim and me set to majestying him and doing this and that and t'other for him and standing up till he told us we might sit down this done him heaps of good and so he got cheerful and comfortable but the duke kind of soured on him and didn't look a bit satisfied with the way things was going still the king acted real friendly towards him and said the duke's great-grandfather and all the other dukes of bilgewater was a good deal thought of by his father and was allowed to come to the palace considerable but the duke stayed huffy a good while till by and by the king says i guess not be got to be together a blame long time on this here raft bilgewater and so what's the use o your being sour it'll only make things uncomfortable it ain't my fault i weren't born a duke it ain't your fault you weren't born a king so what's the use to worry make the best of things the way you find em says i that's my motto this ain't no bad thing that we've struck here plenty grub and an easy life come give us your hand duke and let's all be friends the duke done it and jim and me was pretty glad to see it it took away all the uncomfortableness and we felt mighty good over it because it would have been a miserable business to have any unfriendliness on the raft for what you want above all things on a raft is for everybody to be satisfied and feel right and kind towards the others 
it didn't take me long to make up my mind that these liars weren't no kings nor dukes at all but just low-down humbugs and frauds but i never said nothing never let on kept it to myself it's the best way then you don't have no quarrels and don't get into no trouble if they wanted us to call them kings and dukes i hadn't no objections long as it would keep peace in the family and it weren't no use to tell jim so i didn't tell him if i never learnt nothing else out of pop i learnt that the best way to get along with his kind of people is to let them have their own way End of chapter nineteen